right, here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah. Ollie coming in hot. <laughs> coming in. Yeah, that's me. Hey, this is Ollie. Oh, and this is Scott. And this is Science in Between. Yes, it is. Uh, here we are. Welcome we're back. all riled up today, Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was the show before the show that, yeah. you know. <laughs> Sounds like it was the show before, even the before the show, before the show. It sounds wow. like Ollie, Ollie had a, you know, on a morning. Uh, yeah. We're recording this on a Friday morning and I've, uh, you know, been shot out of a cannon today. Yeah. Well, so. it's a day. It's the, it's the last day before spring break for both of us. Yeah. Which, uh, which means, you know, we got to reschedule next recording. We got busy. We got stuff to do. We, now. Yeah. yeah. And we have just been interacting way too much. That you know? is true. Yeah. See, this is, this is your fault, man, because you're always like, yeah, it'd be great if we could do some work together. And now like, you can't get rid of me. I'm like, I'm like a barnacle on you. I was <laughs> like, thinking that every exact time you same turn around, you're like, ah. <laughs> I think that this morning, I was like, you know, for about the last like decade, I just know going, oh, I really wish I worked for Scott. I wish I were. And now here we are, you know. We we see each other way too much, at least yeah, for well, you. I mean, like I'm sure that's yeah. how you feel. I don't feel no, that no. Way, you know? <laughs> well, but this seems. I, I'm just gonna say you have another colleague that uh, this happened to as well. So you have a pattern in your life where you you have people, uh, and and then suddenly they're just all up in your life and your business, and you can't get rid of them. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's mean, we won't name names, but it's joyful. It, it is joyful. It's a it's a it's a joyful thing. I got no complaints. You know, I'm surrounded by really smart, awesome people. There you go. You know, Look at that. Who helped yeah, me grow? And no, it's it's my, it's not just a compliment. It's my true belief. So, what are we talking about today, Scott? We're just like getting lost in the weeds here about like you know mutual admiration. You yeah, know? let's enough of that. We don't yeah, need any more of that. Our egos are big enough without mutual admiration. We, can, we, <laughs> right. we don't need to pat each other on the back for how great yeah. we are. Let, uh, well, but I you think are pretty awesome. I, 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 right, and so are you, Ollie. <laughs> If I was going to make a list of awesome people, I know you'd be the top of the list. Wow. Yep. I, I, I think that's uh, that's fake, but I'll, I'll, at least I'll top, take it anyway. At least top, top 10, maybe top, top 25. I don't know. <laughs> well, there. I fell pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. Mm, you're in the nice. top 1% of my friends, but I have a lot of friends. Yes. That might be like a good, yeah. you know, 200 people. That's yeah. Right. I know how many friends you have. I, I, I've yeah. been to conferences with you See, where it's you like go. trying to get on More your schedule. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Hey, can, can, can we get together no. for lunch? No, it's like, nope. No, about, I'm I, got fi- I got 15 minutes from 1115 to, to 1130. If you yeah, want to stand exactly in the hall right. and chat. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's exactly well, what it's today, like. Today, Ollie, we are Scott. not going to. Yeah, today we are not going to talk about conferencing with Scott or or how great Ollie is. We are going to talk about cross cutting concepts, mm. otherwise colloquially known as CCCs. Which you know, yeah, okay. If this enough. was on the Food Network, it'd be called the Triple Cs. Oh God. You know? And but then we'd have to wear our sunglasses backwards on our head right. and and like have a car with flames on it or something. I I am ashamed to admit that I had frosted tips at one point. I uh, you know I think no one in our audience <laughs> is surprised to hear that. Yes, just like our our friend Guy Fieri. Yeah, yeah. I, you know the triple well, C's. The triple we're, C's. We're, we're, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna go down a rabbit hole about Guy Fieri. We're just gonna stick with the triple C's today. The triple C's. <laughs> For, for for a change, I'm the guy keeping us on task because I see it in your eyes. You this shot out of a cannon thing. You're you're like, let's talk about Guy Fieri for a while, maybe the whole episode. No, not going to do that. All right, triple C's. So triple C's. Um, 
So basically, you know, we've been we've had a this is the third in a series about the the NRC framework and the and the way that it talks about three-dimensional learning. And this is so we did a sort of intro one and and then we we had one about the science and engineering practices and this is going to be next in the 3D which is is cross-cutting concepts. So um, if you haven't listened to those others you may want to go back because we're probably going to reference them but um, yeah. but I think this will also stand alone to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, th these are all based on, uh, based on the NRC framework for K-12 science education that came out in 2012. And, uh, and Ali and I have been doing some professional development work here in Pennsylvania around this because it's the foundation for the new Pennsylvania standards, because by extension, they, it was the foundation for the NGSS, which is what the uh, PA standards are aligned with. So we wanted to dig in a little bit to what these different things are. So today we're going to talk about cross-cutting concept. So I'm going to let, I feel like it should be a little bit of a draft. So I'm going to let you pick first, but you, you look like yeah. you have something. No, I was, we, we talked a little bit about this last episode, but we talked about how we, like, what are these? And, and, you know, yeah. like, and I think that what's important is like, you described them as a tool. I described them as a lens. I think that both of those, you know, metaphors, I think work because, you know, it's depends, it depends on what you're, what you're using them for. It's like these, you know, big ideas that go across all different areas of science that we use as scientists to kind of help understand or look at different phenomena at the base, like try to have a better understanding of it. And so like, like, you know, one of them is, is patterns. That's like, there's seven of these and, and in the NRC framework and, and patterns is a way. So we look for patterns. You know, this is one of the things that scientists do is they're looking at like, you know, okay, is there a, a way that, you know, I think the one thing we've been using in our professional development is flowers. So are there patterns in how flowers grow that might give us a better understanding of, you know, how these things develop? And so if you look at them, they actually, it follows what, like some sequence, like a Fibonacci sequence, right? And and so from that, you know, we can get a better understanding how, and maybe use that as a predictive lens or predictive tool for other things. And, and so these, and these patterns don't just show up in, you know, biology and botany and things, but they show up in other places too. Sure. And it helps us to get a better understanding of, so that lens, that tool is something that, you know, should be in like the, the toolbox of, uh, of scientists or science students. Right. And the idea is that these, the reason we think about them as a tool or a lens is because they play out differently in uh, in different domains. So, um, and this will become important in some of the ones that we've talked about. But I'll I'll pick another cross cutting concept to talk about first is um, is systems and system modeling. So um, this you know in some areas like in geoscience uh, this is this is a huge deal, right? Because it, it there's there's even been a transition in earth science and and astronomy, but particularly in earth science and geosciences to, to, to move towards this idea of earth systems. And it, it's become explicit. So instead of earth science, it's earth systems science. And to try and think about, you know, big complex systems, but system means lots of different things. Like if you're in physics, the system is just what, what the boundaries of the problem are, right? So the things that you're going to concern yourself with are in the system and everything else is outside the system. And then in biology, it's sort of in between there. So you you talk about the skeletal system or the organ system or the circulatory system, right? So uh, endocrine. Oh, thank you. 
That was nice. I thought we were just naming systems. The systems games. And if we're if we're in, in uh, Ireland, we'd say the skeletal system. Oh, instead of like the skeletal system, which I find to be very strange. You should not yeah. say that. It does not sound right. Um, skeletal. Skeletal system. Um, so anyway, the idea of this cross, you know, the idea is that you think about when you're trying to think about problems, you use this as a way, as a tool or a lens for looking at the problem. So, okay, I'm looking at this thing. I'm looking at how does a tree grow or a flower grow or something? Well, the lens on that is like, what system is a flower a part of, or what, what system does a flower represent? And that can help you ask questions about the problem that you're trying to investigate in ways that you may not have if you hadn't been using a systems lens or a system systems idea as a tool. So that's really the idea of a cross-cutting concept is that it helps you have a different way of looking at the problem you're investigating that can be productive, right? And so so these things aren't content per se. They're not, and this we'll get to this again with this energy and matter one, but they're not content. They're not a thing to be learned exactly. They're a they're a a way of entering an investigation. It's a, it's sort of, you know, again, a lens or a tool. It's a way of saying, how how might I get new uh access to the problem I'm trying to solve, what might be a different lens? So could I look for a pattern? Could I look for a system? These are things that you can sort of ask yourself or students can learn to ask themselves and then to see how those play out over uh, multiple domains. So they see this as a pattern that happens, not just in biology where systems are obvious and talked about, but across all different domains. And that's why I, I, I like the lens perspective too is because it, it you know it's a way of looking it's a way you know mm-hmm. a way of looking at things and since you've already talked about it we might as well just lean into it is the energy yeah. and matter one um this is another um of the cross-cutting concepts and and it really talks about like how energy and matter flow um within a system and the challenge for me and maybe can help us understand this is how it's both a cross-cutting concept and what's called a disciplinary core idea. And so that's an episode, that's next episode that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. DCIs. Yeah. But um, so it's it's both a theme or a lens across or a tool across everything, but it's also specifically a disciplinary core idea or what would be, you know, in more standard term, a standard, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, like a, like a content standard that we would have taught, you know, previously and maybe some other generation of science standards. Right. Yeah. And I think so. So here's my take on that. Right. I mean, if you look at the we'll talk more about the disciplinary core ideas, but there, but energy is named explicitly, like obviously in physical science, it's a whole big idea of, its, of its own. It's called energy in life sciences. It appears in um, in ecosystems explicitly. It appears other places, but in the big idea level, it's interactions, energy and dynamics. Um, and it doesn't actually appear in the in the earth and space science ones, though energy is clearly a, a sure. part of that. But I think so this this maybe is the best example of thinking about the difference between uh, a content and a and a cross cutting concept in that what what we're talking about when we're talking about the cross cutting concept of energy and matter is looking at the problem that you're trying to solve and saying, where is the energy in this? Where is the matter? How is it flowing? How is it cycling? How is it being conserved? But not going in and saying, oh, I wonder if there's kinetic energy here or potential energy or how, you know, it's, it's this idea of looking for energy as 
a broader pattern, right? So it's, um, so that, that idea of trying to examine a problem through flows, cycles, and conservation of energy is different than saying, well, what I'm trying to do here is understand kinetic potential or like in biology, maybe ATP and how that, that holds or stores energy for the body or in geosciences, like the difference between the, you know, internal energy systems of the earth that are driven by the core and the, the residual heat that's in the core versus energy systems on the surface that are driven by the sun, right? So you can talk about energy in different ways, but always what you're thinking about is how does it flow? How does it cycle? How is it conserved? And then how it plays out in different domains depends on how the energy appears in those systems. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and, and, and I guess it, it always did, but I guess I, <laughs> for me, I was, you know, I, I just saw it interesting that that was one of those places where they kind of put those in both, you know, because yeah. I think that is a, a powerful way to look at things. And it does even blur into, you know, we, we, when we talk about life science, physical science, earth science, we often forget that last domain, right. Which was or dimension, which is, you know, those engineering and science applications. And it mm-hmm. definitely plays a role there too, because we want to, you know, consider how energy plays out and, and maybe matter to a, a smaller degree, but certainly, you know, with some engineering matter is a really, really critical thing to consider, Sure. you know, but um, energy's yeah. there all the time, right? And energy is exactly. like a big idea for, for engineering practices. Right. And in engineering, it usually plays the role of, of optimizing the system, right? Because you're usually optimizing for some kind of energy, right? You want efficiency, you want aerodynamics, right. you want something you want to be or controlling it or controlling energy. Right. And, and so I think that's an important aspect too, is like, you know, there's, there's an, you know, energy that we're trying to like contain, like you're trying to, you know, design against like an earthquake or you're trying to design against, you know, some Mm, weather system or something like that. And those are things that are really important. And so I think using that lens from, okay, we have all, it generates all of this energy. How do we, you know, design against it or design to consider it? Um, I think is a, is a really important way to, you know, frame things. And so I think, you know, it's clear that that's a lens, you know, I mean, teaching about energy and then incorporating, you know, the thoughts of energy or the lens of energy. I think it's, it's pretty clear that those are different. I I also, you know, I um, jumping ahead a little bit is, you know, I, I think that the, for me, the, the one that, um, stands out because it, it's almost like this one was owned by like a specific content area. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, like across the boards, like structure and function yeah. was one that like biologists like owned, yeah, biology, right. They were just yeah. like, this is us, yeah. you know? And I, I can honestly say, I don't remember, you know, bringing that in, in any intentional way when I was t- teaching physics, like, Oh, the structure and function of this. But as I start to think about that as a cross-cutting concept, I mean, it's absolutely a role plays a role in engineering, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that like the structure and function of things and like why, you know, I would think about some of the engineering projects I would do with my physics students. And we talk specifically about different structures and how those different structures, you know, accounted for energy or accounted for forces or accounted Mm -hmm. for, you know, all the different things. And so there's definitely structure and function there, but I mean, it was mostly like the biologist, this is us, you know, this is how, you know, the structure of this thing, and this is what it does. And, you know, that's like, that was them. And now it's all of us. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's traditionally in biology, the way that they've sort of, I think, thought about defining species and how those things change over time, right? That, that, that this thing has a beak and the reason it has a beak, it has that structure as an organism is that that beak has a particular function and the shape of that beak, the structure of it 
changes based on the need that that animal has to adapt to its environment. Right. So, so you get longer beaks if they need to, you know, di- I'm really out of my depth here. I know. Uh, longer I, I, beaks I, I, sorry, and- I was just going to let you go. I was yeah. like, okay, you can, yeah. you can run with that. <laughs> so they evolved to have longer, more pointy beaks, you know, like hummingbirds have long, very thin, um, beaks because they need to dip deep into flowers to get what they need. But like if you're a finch or something and you're eating little seeds and cracking them open, you need a short, pretty thick beak because you need the the strength, the, the, the uh, strength of your beak to be able to break those things. So you, so you evolve, the birds evolve to their local environment. And then, but then looking at the structure of an organism can help you understand the function of those, those um, pieces. But yeah, I think this idea of structure and function has been largely explicitly taught in biology and, and, and largely ignored, um, in other areas, but it is, it, it does have a lot of application. It's just that we need to, I think, do more thinking about it in some areas than others to, to work through that. I, I was appreciating you channeling your inner Darwin right there. Yeah, I, I was there. trying, you, man. I was finching it up. You were finching it up. <laughs> yeah. My man, he did the finches. Yeah. Yes, he did. <laughs> lots yes, of finch pictures, lots of finch mm-hmm. thinking. Yeah. yeah. No. So it's uh, an awesome. He, <laughs> oh, my heart just broke. <laughs> That's, uh, That's the name of the episode right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fin- finching it up here, boss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay. I, I, well, that, now we got nowhere to go. How do we come back? Right. From I, there? I'm, okay, it I'll, was I'm there. Pick a different one. How about cause and effect? That's a good oh. one. After that, it's like <laughs> the effect of that no, horrible no punny there. thing was <laughs> that now we have to deal with it and on the show. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this one actually is interesting, and it's only become interesting me, uh, to me relatively recently because, at least in the part, uh, because of the work that we've been doing together as a group, and one of our one of our crew is Brett Criswell at Westchester University, and he's become the cross-cutting concept man. But the other thing that he's done that helped, you know, helped me rethink one of these cross-cutting concepts, cross-cutting concepts specifically, was um, cause and effect, because he really dug into. Um, there's a pretty we'll find this for show notes, but there's a pretty robust literature that came out and I'm forgetting the researcher's name, the woman at Harvard who did this work. Do you remember? Uh, no, I, but I did. I do think this came up in a previous episode. So, okay. I think we'll, so we'll, we'll to... dig around for that. But, yeah. but this idea that, um, you know, there's lots of, we think of cause and effect as being simple and linear, right? Like right. this is the cause that's the effect. And I think one of the things that her research showed is that there's a lot more nuance to it and, and unpacking that nuance for kids um, and, and making it explicit can be really helpful. And I think, again, that that's a theme around these cross-cutting concepts. It's not just, and, and this is a thing that moves into the instructional piece of this. It's not just that these things exist, right? Like, cause that, cause often <clears throat> that's the answer we get from teachers, right? They're like, oh yeah, I talk about energy in my class. It's like, well, yes, you do, of course, because you teach physics and that's, or you teach biology and you talk about ATP or whatever. But what you're not doing is helping kids understand energy as a lens or a tool to, to further investigate or understand that problem, which is to say, calling it out that way, not just saying, Hey, we're just learning about how cells work and here's energy, but to say, Hey, energy is a way that you can think about the way problems can be solved and investigated. 
investigated, sorry, not solved. And so, you know, cause and effect is, is another thing, right? So there's domino cause and effect. There's, um, I'm trying to remember all of them, but there's like cyclical, there's, right. you've got it in front of you. I'm looking for it. It's, okay. yeah, there's a, there's a whole like taxonomy of these. Yeah, there right? are, there's like seven or eight, and then some of them interact with each other. So, yep. um, and, and, but the point really is that, you know, cause and effect is a way again for, for, kids to dig into problems to say like, okay, well, can we look for what is causing the thing that we're seeing? Right. And, and that cause and effect is, is useful then for them to, to try and understand the problem from a different perspective. Oh, if I, if I look for a cause and an effect or one of these domino cause and effects or whatever it is, then that that gives them access to a new way of thinking about the problem that they wouldn't have had if they didn't have cause and effect as a as a cognitive tool for this. Yeah. Oh, so, we'll we'll look for that and put that in the show yeah, notes because that absolutely. that we definitely talked about that at some point. Um, yeah. But that might have been like I don't know episode twenty or something. So it's kind of hard to. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was like a hundred years and ago. It, it yeah. Well, yeah. Not not really, no, but no, well no, no. it. It's it's funny because I was going to go to scale, proportion, and, oh, and, and quantity, you and you, you I know, was off by a, by a factor of yeah. at least ten. Yeah, at least. Yeah, <laughs> Mag- uh, orders of magnitude. Yeah. you know, physicists love their orders of magnitude. Now, well, I would. I was, I was going to say that, like, I would. I feel like this one is one that maybe physicists are are are. I don't want to say own, but they certainly, mm-hmm. you know, live in it. Right? They definitely mm-hmm. live in For it. Sure. Um, and, you know, I think probably all content areas deal with, uh, I mean, it has to be a cross-cutting concept. Yeah, so there, all content there it areas, is. I do. But, but I think that ones who more explicitly talk about it, and I think physicists do, you know, we always talk about like orders of magnitude. That's a, like a pretty common phrase in, our, mm-hmm. in what we do. Um, and I and certainly chemists talk about scale and, and proportion and quantity when they start talking about like things on the atomic level and you know, mm-hmm. molecular level. Um or scientists do too, um, sure. specifically on the, on the really, really large scale. Um, yeah, and I think that's, that's the important part with this is that if we're going to use this as a cognitive tool is recognizing how these different like scales and proportions exist in different, you know, content areas and how they, different, they offer different frames of reference for solving problems or examining phenomenon. Um, and I think that can be really useful. I think that, you know, there are some like differences though. There are some distinct differences, but by, by, by the content areas, like, uh, you know, maybe physics and, and our science are pretty closely related in some areas, but then, you know, biology and, and, and chemistry look at it very differently, you know, mm-hmm. cause I mean, chemistry, they're really looking at it at like, like the mammoth scales, maybe on a time scale, you know, there's some, um, you know, I think even with time, there's so much differences there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is about um, the relationship between, right? So like chemistry, you can think of as the relationship between micro and macro level phenomenon, right? So how do the interactions of molecules create things that we can see with our eyes? And then earth science is more about the, the, how does the, the Uber macro, I don't know, the, the, the gigantic scale have an effect on our sort of normal human scale. So, so how to, how do things like deep, deep space and deep time or deep, um, you know, large scale and deep time, how do those things, uh, phenomena that are occurring at that scale, how do we see evidence of those at, uh, at a human scale? So there is a lot with scale about, and maybe that's yeah. related to proportion about how these scales 
work at different levels, but for most fields um, or for some fields anyway, um, it's, it's about relationships. And then biology has, you know, it has the, because it's sort of in, I don't know what you call it. I don't want to call it in between, but, um, but it has, you know, macro to micro. So how does microbiology affect, you know, organisms, but it also has ecosystems and, and large scale, um, things like that. And how does that affect, uh, individual organisms? So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's a really interesting one and, and foundational to the way that we think a lot about a lot of these disciplines, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there's only, we, we've talked about six of the seven, the only one left and the last one's stability and change. Yep. Yep. And that's it. So, so one thing I, I didn't mention this in the, when we were talking about energy and matter, um, but I, but I'll just mention it <clears throat> briefly because one of my colleagues in um, Germany, uh, Andreas Acher, um, has done work around this um, in flows in biology, and it and it also so he talks about you can always model biological systems in terms of the flows of energy, matter, and information that go in and out of of parts of an organism, organisms, you know, systems of organisms. Um, but one of the pieces that's also in that work that he's done is around this idea of stability and change, right? Yeah. Which is to say, can you look for where there are places in the thing that you're studying in the phenomenon where things are staying the same and look for things where th- those things are changing? And then that tells you something about what's going on in the system. So, um, so, that, so that idea of, again, thinking about cross-cutting concept is as a way of looking at a problem. So what you're doing is looking for where are things stable, where are things changing? And then that helps you figure out where you need to focus your attention in terms of the investigation. So, so stability and change means just that, like when, when if you're looking at a tree, um, well, what things are seem to be staying pretty much the same and what things are, are changing regularly, like, oh, the leaves come out and then they disappear and fall off onto the ground. So that's a change. Can we look at that? But what seems to be relatively stable at least initially, is is the trunk, the trunk and the and the limbs of the tree. Those seem to be sort of stable. So can we say, the, okay, that's a stability and a change. So what's happening there? Why is that happening? Um, and uh, you know, obviously in physics, there's a ton of this um, because we're we're always talking really about changes, usually right. in motion. Right, and the, we talk about equilibrium a lot. Right, um, chemistry and, too, and yeah, and so that I mean. While it's not, they don't use that term specifically in in this cross cutting concept. Um, it is like inherent, right? It's yeah. like it's probably. I, I bet it's in the language. I bet if sure, we look I, at the yeah. description, it probably yeah. does talk about equilibrium because that you're right. That's a key idea um, yeah. in terms of stability and change. Is well, um, I'm looking at I'm looking across all the so they have um, on the NGSS or the NSTA site. Um, they have, that's actually not mentioned in the, uh, grade level bands, the progressions, the word equilibrium is not used. Oh no, there it is. Sorry. Middle school. It's brought up there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So that it's introduced there because it is a difficult concept. Um, the whole, you know, and I think students have, you know, trouble, you know, getting their head around what that means. Um, the one thing I do want to talk about is, is so in one of our sessions, uh, somebody brought up the fact that the PA standards has an additional cross-cutting concept. Is that accurate? Like, because uh, someone said there's they added sustainability to. That's a great question. I should know the answer to that question, and I do not. But I will see uh, if I can figure out an answer to that question. Um, 
they have a different, they have a fourth um, sort of dimension, which is about habits of mind, but it's possible there is another cross-cutting concept about, about sustainability. Um, certainly one of the things that Pennsylvania has um, instantiated in law actually is it's the c- commitment to environmental um, right. education. So it's, it's one of the, one of the things that differentiates the Pennsylvania standards from the NGSS is, is the sort of pulling out or, or emphasis on uh, environmental education. So it's, it's, fairly, you know, it's very possible that that's there. And I'm sort of ashamed that I don't know, but I will certainly look into that and, and check. And I didn't mean to put you on the spot. It's just that as, no, we were okay. talk, as we were talking about it, I just remember that conversation that somebody had said, and I said, you know, cause we were doing a cross-cutting concept workshop with some folks uh, just actually on a couple of days ago. And uh, that came up and that was in my you know brain hole is the question to ask you. And I figured I'd do it right here in front of everybody. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate you, uh, you know, not doing it in a public place where I'd embarrass myself no. because it's part of my professional work or anything. So, yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Hey, it's a safe space here. Is Scott. it? Cause it, it is. it's feeling a little unsafe right now, but well, that's okay. No, but that's what we do. We work through uh, these things. That, that's what you do. <laughs> look, look if if we both you know lean into our own yeah ignorance, so, so sustainability the, is um, okay I, I now I, I now have a definitive answer it is in the pennsylvania uh draft standards as in as another cross-cutting concept wow so there yeah you go. so we're we'll have to unpack that a little bit you know yeah um maybe not today but i mean it, it is what's interesting is um you know with you know, the DCIs and, and the cross-cutting concepts, there are like, you know, specific standards that say, okay, this is what makes a cross-cutting concept. And this is what makes a DCI, you know, yep. disciplinary core idea. And I think we'll have to like tease that out a little bit because I'm like, the sustainability mean that? Does it like, I mean, I think it's a way of, of looking at things, but is it, a, is it a tool that scientists use to help understand I don't know. I mean, well, and how is that? Di- how is that different than st- stability and change? Because I see it as kind of like a a subset of that. Yeah, Maybe. it could be. I mean, I think one thing that it could potentially do um, valuably that uh, is is that it could bring in more explicitly a cross cutting concept that has to do with engineering, right? Because sure. certainly sustainability one of the one of the areas that that most explicitly comes out is through engineering. Like that doesn't mean science isn't concerned with that, but generally speaking, sustainability is built on an engineering problem, right? Because you're saying these are things that humans build and design and how do we make those things sustainable, right? And sustainable means lots of things. And we, we could spend a whole episode probably talking about that, but, um, but yeah, so that so the advantage I can see in it is that sustainability as a cross-cutting concept is a way to say like, okay, well, how would we use when we're thinking about problems, engineering problems that might involve physics, um, designing a bridge being a classic one, like how does sustainability come into that? Does it come into um, how we think about the materials? Does it think about how those materials are produced or disposed of? Does it think, you know, th- so there's lots of ways that you could think about sustainability, obviously lots in, in other domains too. Um, but I could see that as being, uh, as being a productive, um, one, but the, the question always becomes with any of these is where do you draw the boundary? Right. Cause right. we could, you and I could probably generate other things that could potentially be cross-cutting concepts. Um, but you can't have, 
you can't have all of them. So you try to pick the ones that are, you know, to, to use a, a term, right, is high leverage or ones that have explanatory power or ones that are, you know, are, are more universally useful. Right. So, and, and, uh, is sustainability one of those? I don't know. It could be, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know if it is. I mean, I, I would not that uh, just to be clear, I'm not like anti-sustainability. You're not poo-pooing sustainability. No, I am not. No, I think that is something that we, it is an important lens for us to have in the work that we do. Um, but is it something that is universal? Is it something high leverage? Is it something that would help promote understanding of phenomenon? Yeah. I don't know. Like, well, is it yeah. like it's something that I think we should embrace and work towards and bring into our, our practices in, in terms of like not only the things we do in our everyday consumer lives, but also in our work as scientists and engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it a lens for us to understand, develop an understanding or, um, yeah, and I, I see yeah. the, ex, the explanatory um, ability of that as being limited, you know? Yeah. I mean, I do think I see it more in the, um, again, in the domain of engineering than I see yeah. it in science. I just think it has, because science isn't typically concerned with um, issues of sustainability in terms of the phenomenon that we're investigating. That doesn't mean that the phenomenon that we're investigating doesn't lead to implications for sustainability because it absolutely does. Um, and that's the whole point, right? But not the whole point, but that's one of the points. Um, so I can see sustainability there. I just wonder, I mean, that's how I think it, it, one of the things that I think everybody who's been interested in implementing NGSS has struggled with is, is the addition of engineering to this, um, to this universe, because it is a different way of thinking about problems in the way that we talked about the practices last time that, you know, in terms of asking questions versus, um, designing solutions, like that's one of the science and engineering practices that's split apart to say, like, it's different in science than it is in engineering. And, um, so I think potentially this could be similar in that way, um, that it's sort of a cross-cutting concept that mostly is an engineering cross-cutting concept. And maybe that's super useful because we can say, well, in all areas of, of engineering, one of the things that, that we use as a lens to, to design solutions is sustainability. So, yeah, I, I, so as a, you know, former physics teacher, I, I, I leaned into the connections to engineering. You know, I, I had, yeah almost engineering projects every, every marking period to have the students apply the content that we're, that we're learning. Um, and sustainability certainly would uh, come up in that, but I, I wonder whether the sustainability is also an offshoot of the agricultural influence of our state. Sure. And it's, it's almost like, you know, in, in the former Pennsylvania science standards, there was the integrated pest management, right? That yep. got in there. Yep. And I wonder whether sustainability is that, is that, that that's this versions of the, you know, of integrated pest management. That was something that, you know, a very uh, important group of our state, you know, cause these are, these are, you know, political processes, they are. you know, even though when we try not to make them political processes, they become political processes because, you know, we get stakeholders at the table and every stakeholder has their own perspective on how things happen. So by nature, they become a political process. Um, and so sometimes people get their, I don't want to say pet projects, but they get their lenses in there that may not um, be ones that 
you know, another group of stakeholders would see. And I think that's where the integrated pest management came in. In the last science standards, it was like, okay, well, how the heck did this get in there? And that's why, you know, yeah. there was a group of folks, uh, stakeholders from the state who were just like, this is really important for our students in Pennsylvania to learn. And that's one of the joys and also one of the pains of, of having local control. And in, in America is that, you know, individual school districts, individual states, you know, adopt this stuff on, the, on their own. Um, and, and that's how things like integrated pest management or sustainability kind of get into the, the fray. Yeah, right. It could be. And, and um, you know, I mean, I think it is a, it is a strength that our state has a strong agricultural program, but its challenge, I think, is that it doesn't have a place, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the things that, that, um, that happens is, is, and, and I think one, one thing to be clear, actually, is when we're talking about a political process, we're saying little p political, right? right. So this is, right. there are people who have points of view and, and constituencies that they're trying to represent to make sure that they are represented in things like the standards, because, um, you know, if, if the area that you teach is not represented in a body of standards somewhere, increasingly that means you may lose your job, right? I right. Mean, to put it straightforwardly, um, so I think it, it's not un, it's not strange to think that people whose work was in the standards in the in the 2002 version of Pennsylvania would not want those things still to be in the standards when the new versions get drafted because um, you know science isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon, but you know. Tech ed, for example, if we look at what has happened to tech ed nationally, um, the shift in that is sort of been, you know, it used to be shop class when you and I were kids where you yeah. know, it was like, oh, Bobby cut his finger off in the bandsaw. And and now it's become like robotics and programming and computer science and, and this 3D whole other printing. Thing. And yeah. yeah, and that evolution is um you know, good, but it's also a survival mechanism, right? Because sure. because if that if the they hadn't done that, then those those standards didn't really exist. But shifting into tech ed now, they can draw on the ISTE standards, and there there's something that they can push towards. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, and to be clear, again, not poo pooing sustainability. I think it's important stuff, and I am not like criticizing the process. I'm just like yeah. just call you know describing yeah. it. It's yeah. And you're, you're in a lot of ways, what you see in it, it's a little de-democratic. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the process of whenever you have something that's a little de-democratic where you're bringing in lots of voices, um, you know, people's yep. perspectives can influence how it changes. And, yep. and I think that's great, you know? Yep. All right. Well, so, uh, on that great note, maybe we should we shift wanna, to Joy's. Do we want to review these just quick? Like, sure. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. Like, state loud. Yeah, here are the cross-cutting concepts in the uh, NRC framework, not the ones in Pennsylvania. So this no. is patterns, ca patterns, cause and effect, scale, proportion, and quantity, systems and system models, energy and matter, structure and function. And the last one is stability and change. Yes. The, so. the only thing I will add is um, after f energy and matter, it does say colon flows, cycles, and conservation. I think that's sort of important because I think that's what helps it differentiate it from the DCI. So, all right. All right. Flows. Flows and joys. So we're going to flow into joys. So, nice. so Ali shot out of a cannon guy. What do you got for joys today? All right. So I'm, I'm, uh, I attended a conference last week or, you know, when this drops, it'll be like two weeks ago um, around mentoring. 
And one of the uh, keynote speakers was a guy named uh, W. Brad Johnson, who I've read some books on, uh, from him. He's a big uh, figure in the mentoring world. Um, and his presentation was all around how uh, men have to be better win- uh, mentors of women mm. and how we can do yeah. that. And so um, the presentation was pretty awesome. And and he was uh, promoting a book, a new book, a newish book he had that's called uh, Good Guys, uh, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. Hmm. And so it's a book I'm reading, and it's a book that is uh, a heavy lift because as a old white male, um, I'm confronting a lot of my own biases hmm. and my own practices and my, you know, and he just goes at it. It's, it is, it is kind of interesting. And when, in the presentation, he talked about this is that, you know, here he was, you know, mansplaining, you know, because mm-hmm. here he yeah. is, he's an old white man too, yeah. but he's uses, he's done a lot of research on interviewing women, talking with women, doing a lot of like, you know, I think he's a, uh, a social psychologist by training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's done a lot of like ethnography work and a lot of, you know, um, yeah, it's really great and he brings those brings that into his writing i'm about like a halfway through and i just have a laundry list of things that i'm going to work on as as a colleague at because i think that you know here's an interesting statistic that he shared in this presentation that's been floating around i've been sharing this with lots of people is that so the during the first six months of the pandemic you know when all of us were working from our homes that really changed you know a lot of how we work in in academics right and yeah. uh and and so one of the pieces of research that he quoted was around um articles that were put into review hmm. okay okay so yeah. um the one big database that a lot of uh journals use is elsevier and so they used the first six months as a window and they said okay let's look at the first six months of the pandemic um and let's look at um the articles that have put into review by women authors and one's put in by male authors and let's compare mm-hmm. and compare that to like a, a random six month period, two or three years before the pandemic. And so, um, and it really is examining, okay, what are the roles that folks played sure. when, at the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah. Um, they both have similar expectations in their field, right? Sure. You know, absolutely. Um, so um, there's that's, still, because the, that's fair. Right. And I'm using air quotes around fair. Right. I'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. And so what they found, they found two interesting things. And the one I think is, is probably, you know, completely predictable is that the rate of uh, articles submitted by female authors went down significantly. Yeah. Right. That in itself is completely predictable. Um, Women take on more of the um, visible work, right. More of that invisible work at home. And so they were, um, you know, put in, uh, they weren't able to put, put articles in review it nearly. But the other part is the part that I feel like really troubling by, troubled by is that the rate of male articles went up. Went up. So, yeah. So they were just like, hey, we all this found. We time. got all this free could, time. Look at, uh, look at me. I got all this free time. So I put in those articles I've been working on. And so they recognized that they had the time to do stuff, but they dedicated that time to work. Whereas, you know, our female colleagues um, dedicate that time very differently, or, or in a lot of cases, well, we're forced to dedicate exactly. that time. Exactly. I think that's very probably the story, right? Is that right. is that the men were able 
were able to devote their time to the work because the assumption of the invisible labor was done by the women, whether they were explicitly asked to or it just happened that way. Yeah. So good guys. I don't love the title, but I think that, you know, it's like because like yeah. every single hey, I'm a good guy. Yeah. I'm, like, uh, yeah, I'm really uh. a good guy. Yeah, but um, but it's fascinating. It is fascinating, and it's like it 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 punches me to the belly, you know, because I got yeah. we all got work to do. Yeah, I was just talking to a colleague last night about this, and she was talking about she's a, she's in a central administration at a university, and she was talking with a friend of hers who's a dean, and the dean was saying to her, you know, she was saying, oh, I really want to go do this administrative training, but the my my boss basically said I can't because this summer I've got to do something else. And this friend that she was talking to said, you know, one of the core endemic problems in academia is this men don't sponsor women, right? right? So mm-hmm. the, the, the person I was talking to was a woman and her boss is a man. And, um, and so it's like, men sponsor men and and that system of men sponsoring which is to say they they lift up the men that yep. they work with and don't lift up the women well if if you've got a system that's dominated by men that's problematic right because yeah. they, they, you're, it reinforces the norm i mean so yeah this idea of like how do we think about um lifting up it's the same with you know it's it's not a it's not a dissimilar problem to race it's just that with gender yep. it's a 50-50 split roughly down the population of the of the country or world and so it's a big well, difference well i mean one of the terms they throw out here is uh manel m a n e l like a manel yeah do, do you know what that is no when you assemble a panel of experts oh, and they're all men nice they're, you know, and it's like that's a perfect opportunity for you to include other voices and to to yep. sponsor, you know, uh, a female colleague. And in a lot of cases, it's, it just doesn't happen. It's like, oh, you know, yeah, it's like, wow, that's I mean, that's that's like an easy lift, you know, yep. for those of us in positions that I mean, and both of us are whether we have some some title or not, we are both in positions of power that we could be using that to sponsor and to be allies for our female colleagues. And yep. so that's the where a lot of my reflective work is is happening. That's where I sp- I'll probably spend a good part of our my spring break working on that stuff, nice. at least thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm not going to be able to match uh, your your joy in terms of gravity. So uh, I'm because it's it's all good. Yeah. So I'm uh, my joy this week is something that we've I think referred to. We've certainly referred to uh, other books by this author, but I am currently reading Project Hail Mary, which is um, which is by the author of The Martian. Um, and Eric Weir, is that right? I should I I should have fact checked, but I'm I'll, I'll look it up in a second here because I should remember the author of the book, especially if that's what I'm talking about. But, um, so this uh so this is by the author of The Martian, and um it's it's his newest book just came out, and I was given this for Christmas, and I'm just getting to it now, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm not done with it. I'm about halfway through. But but just the premise of the book is this new microorganism is found, um, but it's uh, but it's an I'm not going to spoil it, but um, but it it is also it's really a space adventure, right? Which is not surprising given the Martian and the and the background of right. of the author. Um, but it, it it has to do with these these microbes 
that are discovered in our solar system and then how the how the earth has to react to this and then it leads to this interplanetary uh space travel by by the by the star of the book now i will say one of the things that i don't love about the book is it is it has it's a very similar vibe to the martian which is like one white guy out solving all the problems as the uber miracle worker right so this this is the core of the martian like the guy's trapped on mars he doesn't have access to anybody else he just has to be like super self-reliant and solve all the problems himself and be sort of a genius at everything this had this definitely has that same vibe to it um which i think is too bad because it's starting to read a little bit like a like he has a he has a pattern and he can't break out of it the author um but it, it's entertaining. It's interesting. And like it, the Martian, it's grounded in science. So it's, it, you hear, cool. you hear a lot of science in it, right? It's fascinating. And, you know, him doing sort of back of the envelope computations about, um, you know, energy conversions uh, into matter and vice versa. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting book. So I, I am enjoying it. Um, it's not, it's not perfect, but, but, uh, if you're looking for something that's sort of a hard sci-fi book, um, and this one is definitely much more hard sci-fi than the Martian was like the Martian. Is, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, the Martian was like conceivable. This yeah. is like really out there. Like, uh, and again, I won't spoil it, but, but it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty big departure. It's much more 2001 than it is, uh, uh wow. the Martian. So, um, but it's, you know, I'm enjoying it. Well, I mean, there's a whole his, there's a whole bunch of books that are these lone guns, right? Like you can think of the, you know, the Jack Reacher series. They, you know, there's so many of them, right? So, yeah, well, and it's almost always white guys, right? So, yeah, yep. there you go. Back to back to your point. Yeah, they're they're um, they're both the the authors and the protagonists, right? They're both the the heroes of the book or the you know, the white males, whether it's, you know, I mean, we could go through a whole laundry list and they've all made movies or TV series about them, you know, Jack Ryan, Jack yeah. Reacher. Maybe it's you know? a mantagonist. Oh, look at you. See? Nice See? work. I should write a book. You should, you know. Mantagonists. I like it. I like it. <laughs> well, that's episode 81 in the books. In the books. Yeah, joys and some yeah. cross-cutting, the triple C's. The triple C's. No, no, no frosted tips here, though. Hey, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say this episode was finching awesome. Oh. <laughs> oh, I think that uh, I stuck the landing right there. Woo! See you next time. See you then. In between is what you're supposed to say. Not, did not stick that. Still you did not, still you did not finch and stick that. <laughs> so that's where we're ending. <laughs> Bye See you now. Then.